Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Jacob and I want you to know that you are not just a person sitting in that seat. We really want to become acquainted with every single one of you and your children. We care about you. We love you as shepherds of this church. God has entrusted us to shepherd you, mostly spiritual. But when you get the spirit right, the emotions, the physical, the financial begin to fall in place, don't they? When you get the spirit right. So that's what we focus on the most. And I believe as we look at the sixth chapter in the book of Esther this morning, you're going to realize where you're sitting right now that God is involved in the details of your life. Whether you honor him or not, but if you do honor him, wow, you should be leaving this place this morning with a lot of hope and a lot of faith that God is involved in the details of your life. You may not like your present status in your life right now. I won't ask by a raise of hand how many would like to get out of the present status you're in. Perhaps you're single and you'd like to be married. Perhaps you've been married 41 years and you don't want to get out of the marriage that you're in. I enjoy it. How'd you like that for reversal? Perhaps you're in a a job, in, in a situation where you feel that no one really appreciates you. And you'd like to get out of that spot. Or perhaps you'd like to be in the boss's spot. What we want to communicate through the Word of God this morning. Trust God for a promotion. That's the title of this morning's message. In need of a promotion? Explanation mark. In need of a promotion in your life? Just as a teaser, remember Joseph. For those that don't know the Bible well, remember Joseph was a character in the Old Testament. He had other brothers, 11 other brothers. And he was a little braggadocious when he was younger, but he did fear God and love God, and they sold him into slavery. He went to his first job. His boss did so well. He didn't even worry about anything. He trusted Joseph to to do everything for him, and then he was falsely accused of of, of adultery. He went to prison for that. God, where are you at? He's probably asking. Some of you are asking, where is God at in my life right now? I need to hear from him. And Joseph cried out to God. And the Lord sent two people from Pharaoh's administration down there. And they had dreams, and Joseph interpreted their dreams. He said, one of you are going to be killed, and one of you are going to get back your position. But hey, when you get back there, would you remember me? Tell Pharaoh about me. Mm -hmm. It happened exactly like Joseph had interpreted the dream. Joseph's still in, in the dungeon. He's wondering, where is God at? Where's my promotion, Lord, for living for you? Just remember, God does not work on our time frame. 
His schedule is different than yours, but study history and you will find hope and help that God has not neglected you, nor will he neglect you. And he did not neglect Joseph. He became the second most powerful person in the entire world to save the Jewish people from starvation. He received a promotion. He went from the pit into the palace. So today, I want to talk to you a little bit about a promotion. Actually, the subtitle could be God's in the details. Now, why would we give the devil the credit all the time? You know the saying, the devil is in the details. Have you ever heard that? Read the fine print, the devil's in the details. Well, let's flip that coin around. God is in the details of everything in your life. Philippians 2 reminds us of this. God is at work in every single pew or every single seat that you're sitting on this morning and those looking in online this morning. He's at work in your life right now. He's at work in the details of your life. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Okay, where are we at in the book of Esther? Remember, a wicked king, like a chess master, God moves the king into place, and he used his wickedness and his wicked decisions to get rid of a queen. That wasn't his perfect plan. But he ushered in his queen, Queen Esther, who is a Jew, and her uncle, Mordecai, they both hid their religion. Hmm. Pause right now. Do the people at work know that you love Jesus? It's one thing to come into the house of God. Raise your hands. Kneel before him. Talk about him. Do you do that in public? Jesus said, if you deny me before men, then I'll deny you before my father when you stand before God. Yeah, Lord, I knew you. Yeah, we were buddies on earth, remember? We, we had religious garb. You know, we, we, we preached to people. We're talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? The religious leaders of our Lord's day. Lord, we knew you. We talked all about you. We gave money to you. What did the Lord say to them? I never knew you. Hmm. Billy Graham said the greatest harvest field is in the church, that people that come to church, they wear the garb, they put on the face like they're real mad when they come here. And I don't see any people really sad when they come here. Very few people. Man, they got this a, a good plaster on the, a big smile on their face. Then they walk out the door. Now I got to live life. Now we want to give you some encouragement for living out that life. So God is now going to use a king, now the queen, who's kind of hidden her identity, and Mordecai, who's hidden his identity, to save his people. So you need to Google out and look at the big picture, even though there are some golden nuggets in this message for you and me this morning. The big picture is God wants to save the Jewish people. Time out, by the way. Put a plug in for Israel. Remember what I told you a couple weeks ago? The whole world is wicked. Every king, queen, they're corrupt. 
But you need to look at these crazy nations and crazy politicians and see what they have to say about the people of God, the Christians and the Jewish people. And if I had to give some advice, I would find myself joining hands with them and not the people that are speaking bad about them. Back to my message. God is about to deliver his people. And he wants to use Mordecai and Esther and the king. But just before we get there, you remember there's a bad character in this play, Haman. Haman had a very important position in the kingdom. But then the king decided to promote him to the second most important person in the Medes-Persian empire. He's not happy with that because he sees someone outside the palace that doesn't bow down to him, doesn't kowtow to him. He's furious. Once he finds out he's Jewish, he decides he wants to get rid of all the Jewish people. He's not happy with his position now. He wants to get rid of everyone. But God, behind the scenes, is working in Haman's life, working in the wicked king's life. He's working in Esther's life, and he's working in Mordecai's life, and he's working on behalf of the Jewish people, and he's working on your behalf this morning to get you to where he wants you to be, to bring glory and honor to his name. He's not leaving you alone. He has a purpose for every one of you, even in the very back of the church here. So I want you to look at a God promotion this morning. I want you to look at a selfish promotion. I want you to think about promotion by others and then a demotion as we unravel this little bit of a story. Let's look in verse 1 in chapter 6. That night the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of history of his reign so it could be read to him. Now, notice again, you should draw strength and hope from this. You're going to see the restlessness of a king. You're going to see about the reading of the king, the recording of the king. All these things, all these activities that are taking place are God orchestrated. He wakes up in the middle of the night. He cannot go to sleep. How many of you have sleep problems here? You have insomnia. You wake up in the middle of the night. You wake up at all hours of the night. By the way, get some help. Your sleep is very important. 30% of Americans have a problem with sleep. Go get some help. I got some help, and I sleep every night like a baby now. I won't tell you my secret. It might get me in trouble. Some of you already know my secrets. Restlessness. God used this wicked king's restlessness to begin delivering his people. He began to orchestrate behind the scenes what was happening. He woke him up. He could not sleep. Some of you said you woke up in the middle of the night and you've seen something at the end of your bed. Some of you seen an angel and some of you thought you saw the devil. Some of you pulled the covers over your head when you saw the devil. Some of you pulled the covers over your head when you saw an angel. We've all seen crazy things. Some of you woken up in the middle of the night and you got up and started reading your Bible. What did this king do? He wanted to read. Notice in verse 1 again. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of history of his reign so it could be read to him. Now, I know many of you don't wake up in the middle of the night and open up uh, the history of uh, Europe. 
It's one of the subjects I could not stand when I was in school, all these kings and queens. I mean, that's not what you're going to read. Now, this king could have done a, a number of things for entertainment for that night, but God caused him to hunger to read something. What did he read? A record. Notice the record of incidents of his kingdom. Let's continue to read. In those records, in verse 2, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door of the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? The king asked. The restlessness, what he read. See, some people have an idea that God is a deistic God. You've heard of an atheistic, atheism, right? I always call them an atheistic God because in order for them to say they're atheists, they must believe there's a God in order to say there is no God. So they say they're an atheist to prove there is no God. Kind of sends mixed signals, does it? They're afraid that there really is a God out there, so they say they're atheistic. But then there's people that believe that God is deistic. That means he created the world, he wound it up, and uh, he, he let it go, and he went on vacation. Not concerned about the details of what's happening on the planet or the details of what's happening in your personal life or in your marriage or in your children's lives or where you work at. You think there's no way he can be concerned about the details of my life. He was concerned about the details of his Jewish people, so much so that he began working in the mind of the king. What he read... He opened the book up. You ever opened up the Bible and go, oh, wow, God spoke to me. I know some of you said you've done that. Don't live that way, but that can happen in God. God, I need to know who I'm going to marry. God, I need to know what job I'm going to have. God, I need to know where I'm going to live. I'm going to open up the Bible and see if you speak to me. Has anyone ever done that? Yes, but don't live that way. It can happen. But that's exactly what happened to King Xerxes. He opened it up right to the very spot that God wanted him to read. So let's look at the record of this incident. By, by the way, by the way, you think God is not concerned about the details of your life, but he has recorded everything you've ever done in a book. David said, all the days of my life had been recorded before I ever lived on the face of this earth. That's paraphrasing. In fact, Revelation tells us in Revelation 20, 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were open. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. God has recorded everything you've ever done. Time out. There's good news. Every bad thing a believer has done, guess what? It's not in the book. If you've done what? If you have repented of your sins, God said he has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's why we get excited and shout, praise God, hallelujah. 
That's not what you're going to be judged by. But the good news is that he remembers what you have done. He hasn't forgotten it. And neither did he forget what Mordecai had done. So the king recalls what he had done five years earlier. Let's go back to Esther chapter 2. Remember what he had done. Esther 2.19. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept her secret, her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do so. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thana, that's like I have to call her, Big Thana, and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on tolls. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. It isn't amazing. This big old book of the history of the Medes and the Persians, he wakes up, he wants to read, he opens it up, right to the right spots. And because out in the gates is, is uh, Haman, who's going to come in and say, let's hang Mordecai. Tell me God is not involved in the details of your lives. When you think you're alone with no hope, no help, today, take courage. Gain hope. Increase your faith about what you're reading here this morning, that God behind the scenes is orchestrating all the wicked decisions of the king and of Haman to accomplish his good purpose. Well, the last R I think about is the recognition of the good deed. He said, well, what have we done? What have we done for this individual who saved my life? Hebrews 6.10 kind of helps you and me again remember God has not forgotten what you have done in his name. It says in Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. I think sometimes we're our own worst enemies. We look at things through a negative glass or through a glass half empty instead of half full. God remembers the things you have done for him. Remember, he said, you have been faithful in a few things. Haven't you saints been faithful in a few things for God? Come on, haven't you been faithful to him? He remembers those and has been recorded in a book, just like he remembered what Mordecai had done and brings it to the attention of the king. And so one other passage I want to bring to your attention, Matthew 25, 37. This is when the second coming comes, Matthew 25, and he's going to judge the sheep from the goat. He's going to reward the saints, and he's going to judge the wicked people. And he reminds them what they're being judged for or what they're being rewarded for. Here's what he said. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or invite you in 
or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's why it's important to belong to a church where we can meet each other's needs, care for one another, share one another's burdens. That's God's plan. God used the restlessness, the reading, the record, the recognition of Mordecai to be able to deliver the Jewish people. And now, what about being at the right place at the wrong time? You ever heard that? I was at the right place at the wrong time. You ever heard that? Guess what? Mordecai is sitting outside that door. He can't stand the Jewish people. He's second in command. He's already been given permission to annihilate the Jews. And there's one Jew outside the palace. He's going in. He's getting ready to speak to the king. Ah, let's pick up the scene in verse 4 and 5. Who's just after he gets finished reading it? Isn't it amazing? And it's Mordecai that we did not reward. He just gets that out of his mouth. And he says, who is in the outer court? The king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is in the outer court. Hmm. Remember, God teaches us that he will make the enemies of God bow to Jesus' feet, but he will also do that for you and me. I find that hope in Isaiah chapter 60. He said, the descendants of your tormentors. You have any tormentors at work, in the neighborhood, maybe in your family? He said, will come and bow before you. Those who despise you will kiss your feet. Remember, though, it's going to happen in God's timing. We must not grow weary in well-doing during our season of trials and troubles, okay? That's going to happen to every single human being. You must find joy in the times of your tribulation. James talks about that when he said that all of us, not if, but when you go through trials, count it all joy. Many of us have lived life long enough that we have seen the result of the joy in the midst of our trials. We've seen God deliver us from our tribulation. You and me need to be patient. He said, if you will be patient, you will renew your strength. You will mount up with wings as eagles. You shall run and not grow weary. You shall walk and not faint. Christian, you need God to move in your life. You need God to be thinking about you. He is. You need that promotion. You need to get out of the situation you're in right now. God knows what you're going through. Be patient. Find joy in the tribulation that you're in, and he will hear you and deliver you. In his time, not in your time. So, God used the king's restlessness, his reading, the record, the recognition, and even the individual who was at the right place at the wrong time. Now, that's a God promotion. He's getting ready to promote him. I want to look at now in verse 6 through 9, which I call self 
promotion. That's tempting to do while you're waiting for a promotion. From the status that you're in, whether on a job or in a relationship, we get impatient. Just like Abraham and Sarah got impatient, they were godly men and women that got impatient And Sarah concocted a plan to have a child when he couldn't have a child, when they couldn't have a child. And we've been suffering from that decision ever since, right? The Arabs and the Jews have been fighting each other. Yeah, God had a plan all along. It was already rocking and rolling, but they didn't wait. How often have we hurt ourselves, shot ourselves in the foot because we didn't wait upon the Lord? Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Well, I look at the eagle of this maniac, Haman. Here's what he said in verse 6 through 9. So Haman came in, and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Here's the eagle. Haman thought to himself, Hmm, who would the king wish to honor more than me? Wow. So he replied, hmm, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. And have the official shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone who wishes to honor. There's a passage found in Romans 12. It says, because of the privilege and authority God's given me, I give each of you this warning. Warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Measure yourself by the faith God has given you. Hmm. We have a lot of egos that are paraded before us in medicine, in politicians, musicians, actors, actresses who are self-promoters. I think of two big ones in my day, the Beatles and Muhammad Ali. I think of John Lennon. And Muhammad Ali, remember Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. I mean, he made a lot of money on that. But then I think about John Lennon. Here's what he said on March 4th, 1966, you know, when they were so popular, people were going crazy over them. Guys and girls were screaming every time they got a, a picture of them or saw them. In an interview with journalist Maureen Cleave for the London Evening Standard, In his conversation with Cleve, Lennon made the following statement. Talk about an ego. Christianity will go. He began almost flippantly. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue with that. I'm right, and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first. Rock and roll? Or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisted, twisting it that ruins it for me. Well, he was shot and killed. 
for that big old ego he got. Remember, God said those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But if you will humble yourselves, he will exalt you. There's no more egomaniac than one of your favorite players, I'm sorry to say, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes, I did some research on the top athlete who wins this egotistical award. He by far got the biggest ego of any sports figure. You see, when we exalt ourselves, we will be humble. But God said if we will humble ourselves, he will exalt us. So we got a lot of, a lot of ego maniacs. By the way, that passage is found in Matthew 23, if you want to jot this down, 23, 12. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Man, I like to make a quick, quick beeline for the ground and humble myself so that God will lift you up in your circumstances. And this guy, Haman, he wasn't satisfied with his position. He wasn't satisfied with his promotion. He wasn't satisfied with most people bowing down to him. He wanted everyone to bow down to him. He hadn't gotten enough. The scripture talks about having enough money and position. Do you remember the rich man who had so much? We're so familiar with a lot of rich people, like the Gateses and, the, and Elon Musk and, and, and those kind of people like that. They have so, so much. Well, the Bible tells us about a rich man in the Bible that had so much, but he wasn't satisfied with that, just like Haman wasn't. And so God had to humble him when the guy decided, well, I have enough, but I still don't have enough. I want to keep building and have more. And let me build bigger barns to store what I have. And God said, you fool, tonight your soul will be required from you. Reminds me of some other people that were not happy with their position. You see, the Bible says whatever position you're in, believe it or not, you should be satisfied, especially when he saves you right where you're at right now. That's where he wants you. Want proof? 1 Corinthians 7, you may not be on the board, so you might want to jot this down. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all churches. That does not mean if you're living in sin and in a sinful situation and in a sinful profession that you shouldn't get out of that. That's not what he's talking about. When he saves you, he wants to use you right where you're at so you can communicate the good news so people around you can see the difference, so they can see the God in you. That's what I believe the apostle Paul is saying in this particular passage. Some people are not happy with their position. They, they, they covet someone else's position. It reminds me of Aaron and Miriam. You know who they are? Brother and sister of who? Moses. God said there was no more humble man in all the world than Moses. But you know, God doesn't just speak to your pastor. He speaks through me. Technically, that's true. You have the Holy Spirit in you. I agree. But they desired to have the same clout that Moses had. And they spoke against their own brother and the leader of all Israel. Guess what happened? Because of that self-exaltation. 
God's cloud covered them. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And he told Aaron and Miriam, Aaron, I, I gave you the priesthood of the whole nation. You weren't satisfied with that? And Miriam, it's like spitting in your dad's face. And when he left, guess what Miriam looked like? A leopard. A fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. They did repent, and she was healed later on. Praise God, when we mess up, when we mess up, he will forgive you if you're his child. But I also remember someone else who was not satisfied with his position. Can you think of one of the most important people in the whole world that was not satisfied with his position? Starts with an S and ends in an N. And has letters in between. Two A's and a T. Satan. He was not happy with being the most powerful angel in all of heaven. He wanted to be God. He wanted to exalt himself. See, there's a temptation in our lives. No one's paying attention to me. I know I felt like that so many times around other ministers who had large churches and, or people that have a lot. It's, I remember going to a church and these people had just multiple people. And uh, I felt like this. And I came home and I realized I had sinned against God. Because here's what God gave me. This is what he wanted me to handle well for him. And we, he wanted me to bring glory to him with what he gave me, not with what he didn't give me. God wants you to bring glory with what he's given you, not with what he hasn't given you. And if you can't handle what he's given you and bring glory to his name, don't expect him to move you into a position that you'll then say, I will give you glory and honor. I felt sick to my stomach all the way home when I was around these two great people. And I realized that I'd sinned against God by not being happy and satisfied with the position he had given me in life. That can happen to any of us. God doesn't want us to promote ourselves. He will promote you when you need to be promoted. He will encourage you when you need encouragement. He will give you what is needed at the right time. Haman was not satisfied with his position. And so he promoted himself. As we wind, getting ready to wind up the story, story, notice promotion by others in verse 10 through 11. So after Haman said, this is what you should do for the per person that the king uh, really is, is happy with, he said, okay, excellent, the king said to Haman, quick, in verse 10 and 11, quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said, for Mordecai, the Jew, I could imagine being in Haman's shoes with a second, he rattled off that name because he's in there to tell the king, we want to hang Mordecai. And now he's saying, go bless Mordecai. Wow. How to put a smile on anybody's face. <laughs> Who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. So Haman took the robes, put them on Mordecai, placed them on the king's own horse, and he led him through the city square shouting, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. It reminds me of Philippians 
2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in your, in your humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Let others exalt you. There's always that temptation, isn't it? Especially if you were not anything in this life. Especially growing up when maybe someone told you you were nobody and you were nothing. And maybe you have a position that you think is a lowly position. And there's a tendency to, 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 to someone to feed you and to, to, to praise you, to encourage you. And then there's a temptation to raise your hand. Look what I've done. We've all done that. We've all made that mistake. But I want to tell you this morning, God is involved in the details of your life. You can see from this chapter that God cares about the details of what's going on in his world, in this nation, in Israel, and in your lives. But he wants someone else to promote you. It reminds me of someone that I want to promote just for a moment. And I saw him walk in, Javier in the back. How you doing, Javier? See that guy in the back there? Everyone turn and look at him. I just want to say, I, I just want to say something about him. This is what, this is how it's done. Not Javier coming up here saying, look what I've done. But someone else talking about you. You know, Javier is the maintenance guy around here. He has, he takes care. He's a manager of the property here. But Javier has been looked down upon some of the people in this church and other people who visit this building. You know that Javier was an Olympic swimmer and traveled all over the women in colleges. You know that Javier's daddy had a giant business. He traveled all over the world, business for his daddy. You know that Javier had his own business for many, many, many years. You know that Javier had a gun put to his head because he was mistakenly identified and he decided to get out of his country. And he came over here and had to start at the bottom of the ladder. And so he took any job he could. So some people look at him like, oh, he's just a broom sweeper, a broom mopper. And so they kind of tell him what to do, and they, they look down on him. Javier is a man of faith. He is a credible guy. He is one of my right hand, or Jacob and I's right-hand men here. We count on him for a lot of things. He has saved this church thousands of dollars to help negotiating contracts because he knows two languages. Just on our septic tank outside, someone was charging us a couple thousand a month, $2,500 a month. He helped broker a deal with some Latin God-fearing man that said, I'll do it for $1,300. Just one little thing besides the things he's able to fix and do around here. I just wanted to tell you how much we appreciate Javier and love him. Would you give him one more thank you? Please? So if you ever want to get my dandruff off, let me hear about how someone treated one of our very own in the wrong way, okay? Then I'll have to pray that God will subdue my anger. But anyways, 
That's how it should be done. And we need grace. Javier needs grace now just to receive that. We need grace to receive adoration, praise, as much as we'd like to give it. So we just need to humble ourselves and say, God, thank you. Thank you so much. Javier, I'll be expecting a nice Christmas present this year, okay? <laughs> as we wrap up and our, our, our musicians come up, I want to say something about the demotion as we end 12 and 13. It says it right here. The demotion predicted. After Mordecai returned to the palace gate, Haman hurried home, dejected, and completely humiliated. When Haman told his wife, Zareth, and all his friends who had, what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. They predicted his demotion. While they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. Remember, she already had one banquet. He thought he was hot stuff because the queen only invited the king and Haman. Then she said, would you come back tomorrow night for another banquet? And all this happened in between. God's timing is perfect in your life and my life. In Psalms 73, the psalmist Asaph wondered, why the wicked seem to prosper? We wonder that at times as we look out into the world, we do our best, we tie to the Lord, we live for him, and we see neighbors around us being very fruitful and successful, boats, cars, living the so-called good life. You think that. But Asaph thought the same thing to the point they almost abandoned the faith. That's what Psalm 73 says. But just a snippet from that reads this way. 73:16. So I tried to understand why the wicked prospered. But what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Remember in Star Wars, your destiny. Your destiny. Their destiny. God helped him comprehend. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and you send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Haman had no one to blame but himself. By the way, he had no time to repent of his sins. Remember the advisors and his wife all said, listen, you're not going to succeed with your plans. They said, you better quit opposing him. But then the eunuchs came and brought him off to the banquet. He didn't have any time to repent. And so my first encouragement is to the unbeliever here looking at online or to the saint here, excuse me, unbeliever and the backslider. While you have time, please repent. Jacob's heart and my heart is this. 
we shepherd God's people. I know all the problems and troubles that you're going through, the trials and trivials. Not everyone, not every single thing. But I sit back there and I go, God, how can I preach a sermon that will encourage the saints when they walk out this door? Everyone's got different problems and trials and tribulations. Many of them are looking for promotion. How can I do with one message? How can they walk out of this door when they have so many trials and tribulations in their lives? I can't do it. But the Holy Spirit can take from what was said today and apply it to each individual. And the first thing we need to do, as Jacob already asked you to do before you take the Lord's Supper, is repent of your sin. I don't know about you, but very seldom will I ever step foot in this pulpit. I, I fear God. But I, I fear God. Do I ever sin? Um, yes. Yes. But because I fear God before I stand up here, I've confessed my sins because I fear speaking on his behalf. What our world lacks is a healthy dose of fear of God because he said the beginning of wisdom is to fear him. He said, if you'll do that, if you'll humble himself, he will forgive you. So the first thing we need to do is repent of our sins if you're an unbeliever or you're a believer and there's something you have not repented of yet. Please, please do that this morning. Get back in the right fellowship with God. He'll take those poor decisions and those good decisions and run them through the meat grinder of his will and out will come his purpose. Out will come his purpose. He will make all things, even your poor decisions, work out for his glory where you will be blessed by it. If you're a believer here today, as we wrap this up, and you felt like you've had no hope, you don't like the present situation you're in. We've, many of us have been there, if not all of us. We didn't like the predicament we're in. I remember when I was without a church. What are you going to do now, God? I don't want to bring my family to California and go to some church and there's some weakling men and women running the church and they don't love you and I'm going to expose my kids to that? Uh-uh. And I didn't send my resume out. This church, first time anyone ever begged for me to take a job they actually begged for me to take this job not once not twice but three times and I took it making a hundred dollars a week while I clean carpets I felt very humbled I probably needed to be humbled but you see in that suffering in that same time I had to get out of my house and I had to go live with my brother six of us with my brother I'm the one with a master's degree and a doctor's degree and I'm living with my brother they're wondering where's your God now they've seen the coming months and weeks and years there's his God I see him acting up in his family he's changed his life and many of my brothers of not everyone has come and my mother to know Jesus as their savior now they looked on me who was a zero now they looked upon me as a one. I'm working my way up to 10. He'll do the same thing in your life, but we must be patient during that trial and tribulation that you must remember God knows the details in your life right now. And he's willing to move on your behalf, but in his timing. In his timing. So would you stand at this time?
You say, Pastor, your time's up. We're ready to go. We're going to ask our prayer partners, a few of us. We're just here to pray. We don't beg and plead people to come down, but you might need us to pray about a detail in your life. I need God to move. I, I don't like the present situation I'm in. I need prayer. Listen, God works through prayer. We know that. That's why we do it. We don't do this for show. If you need someone to pray for your present circumstance, please come up. One of the ladies, the guys up here, and say, hey, would you pray with me? And of course, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's the gospel in 30 seconds, and we'll wrap it up. You can share the gospel in 10 hours, 5 hours, 1 hour, or 30 seconds. God created you in the earth. We disobeyed him, and we're divorced from God forever. There's no way we can get back in fellowship with him because of our sin. But God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world to live a perfect life, was brutally beaten, nailed to a tree for our sins, and he went into the grave and came out of the grave on his own power. He said, if you believe in my son, repent of your sins and believe in him, I will save you and give you eternal life. Okay, maybe it was 32 seconds. I don't know. Some of your timing, and I know you'll text me. Pastor, yeah, that was 35 seconds. It's good news for you today. Come receive Christ as your Savior. Come to the front and say, hey, I gave my life to Christ, and now I want to be baptized. Some of you have never been baptized. Be obedient to God. Do the things He's asked you to do so the blessings can come in your life. The trials and tribulations will be there, but the blessings will be like cake and ice cream. Would you come as God leads you at this time? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.